0: Hey guys, welcome back to the 20% Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Meckes. Boy, am I excited for you to listen to this week's episode with featured guest Mark Nudelberg. Mark is a former college football coach and now is the president of On the Ball Ventures. Now he's bringing those same principles from football into business to help others reach their maximum potential. If you're only going to dedicate one hour to your professional development this week, please make sure that it's listening to Mark's conversation. In the conversation, we covered the importance of preparation, Mark's top five life principles, building trust through social media, making your passion, your purpose, and much, much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Mark Noodleberg. Mark, welcome to the show.
1: My pleasure, Tyler. Thanks for having me here. Uh, Excited to join.
0: Mark, tell me something good.
1: (laughs) That's classic. Uh, For those of you listening who don't get the reference, um, that is how my father has trained people to start conversations for forever, um, there's a lot to tell you that's good right now. Um, I'm happy. I'm passionate. I'm um, working with people and helping people develop, which is my passion and has become my purpose with what I do. I get to work with my dad every day, which is phenomenal. We just bought a house and closed on a house yesterday. Um, so there's there's a lot of good going on. I know a lot of people like to complain a lot, but that's not
0: my style. Absolutely. And I- I'm pumped already, man. And, uh, and the the one reason I just finished reading your dad's book who he just sent it to me a couple of days ago, which was an incredible jester. Um, you know, absolute professional. He starts saying, tell me something good because it starts the conversation off on a positive note, right? People, if you ask, how are you doing? That's just like a, a therapy session ready to go. Right.
1: Yeah. you're You're basically asking somebody to take a dump on you right there. So understanding that, you know, Especially in the sales profession, but I would say in leadership or in sales, really just in general, like when you, the only thing you can really control when you're interacting with people is how you make them feel. And by leaving it open ended to say, Hey, how are you doing? Most people are focused on the negative. And when they're focused on the negative, it's the first thing that comes out of their mouth. So by asking somebody to tell me something good, you're taking control of what the response may be. And you're forcing that person to think about some positive things and get the conversation
0: moving in a direction that you want it to. And not only that, I mean, you you, you told me, I'm not going to dive into every single piece of that, but you gave me five or six different things that I could start a conversation on. Uh, we're actually looking for a house right now too. So, you know, there yeah. the, <laughs> the relationships that you could build up based upon that question. I, When I read that last night, I circled that, highlighted that, you know, that may be some of the best piece of advice that I, I've ever received at this point. But Um, Well,
1: it'll usually get to somebody's core of what they really care about. You know, most times, even if people are bitching and moaning and complaining, they're thinking about the things that aren't really important to them. They're just the things that they don't like. So when you ask them to tell you something good, that's whatever's good in their life is what they really care about. So getting to the core of what people care about in order to figure out what matters to them, in order to connect with them, and then in turn, hopefully deliver some value to them. That's the key to doing business in general. I don't care if you're in sales, marketing, if you know, you could be an IT director, whatever it is, in order to work with people, you have to figure out who they are. So it's an unbelievable insight to them
0: when you first meet them. Absolutely. And would you say relationships and value are two of the big core principles that Anybody should develop whether you're whether you're in sales whether you're in like you mentioned the IT position.
1: How important is that? Uh, so I would say that relationships are the foundation to all success. Um, I learned that early on in my coaching career. You know, it really and people say it all the time. It doesn't matter what you know, it matters who you know. I would say that's more true than ever in the in the football coaching profession. I've worked with a lot of coaches who have been in the profession for forty years that really had no business being a coach. They weren't very good at developing people. They weren't good communicators. They didn't build trust, but because they had been in it for forever, they just continued to be in it. And they relied on the relationships of the people that they knew that continued to get them jobs. So so I know that as a core fundamental of being a good coach, kept me getting a job was the fact that I knew people and what they knew about me and the way I would work and the way I would go about my business on a daily basis and how I treated them as people helped me get hired places. And then what made me successful as a special teams coordinator was I would develop relationships with the kids that I was coaching so that they trusted me, they would then listen to me, they would then learn from me, and we were able to implement and build a culture and have success because of the foundation of the relationships.
0: Absolutely. And before we get into some of your, your coaching career too, with some of those, those kids that you built relationships with, have you ever been able, since they graduated years later, been able to start working with them again or, or building... Further relationships and do business together with them? Sure. I don't think I've done business
1: with anybody yet. Um, I I continue to coach them. Like I spoke to a long snapper of mine who, who played for me at the University of Florida, who's been out of ball now for a couple of years and is really just struggling with the transition. Just not sure whether or not he wants to give football another try and and, and get back into the NFL or whether or not he's doing the right thing being out in business and all the things he's struggling with from going from being a high performance athlete for the majority of his life. You know, right. you figure if a kid got recruited to go to college at the University of Florida, that means he excelled while he was in high school. So you're talking about the time that he was 14 to now the time that he's in his late 20s. The majority of his life has been spent competing at the highest level, especially in the NFL at the highest level, surrounded by other people who are willing to compete at that level. And when you you step out of that and you step into the arena of business and the world, you don't get that ever again. And so that that's a that's a real adjustment for him. And so I still I still talk to all of them. I still have lots of great relationships with them and uh, I cherish those
0: relationships are everything, man. I know that that's, you know, I, I really can't harp on that enough. And I know that you you taught me a lot of that too. Um, do you see a lot of people struggling getting out of the athletic side of things going into a career?
1: It's just an adjustment. I don't say that it's necessarily a struggle. Some people struggle with it more than others. Um, I think what most people, most student athletes or even coaches They don't realize that when you leave the the athletic world, you go from a place where your schedule has been decided for you every second of every day for the entire year, pretty much. So you don't have to think, you know, where you're supposed to be, you know, when you're supposed to be there and you know what you're going to be doing during that time when you step out of that and then you get, you're in charge now of building your own schedule leaving the structure and the discipline of routine is hard because you know that that's what made you successful when you were in it was having that routine and being disciplined to that routine. So trying to build that for yourself when you might not know what to focus on to on what to be doing to be successful, it's difficult.
0: I can imagine. Did you as a coach, did you try to develop your athletes as more of human beings and not just on the football field as well?
1: So that was always, that was always my goal. And that was something that I, I would talk about whenever I was teaching important fundamental in football was I would let them know like, Hey guys, right now I'm teaching you life through sport. Like, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone paying attention to the tiny detail that i'm asking you to pay attention to you know being process oriented and understanding the psych or the you know the steps that i'm teaching you in order to be successful on this one play all of those fundamentals if you take them out and say well forget about the playbook and the techniques that I'm actually learning but look at okay if I understand how to pay attention to detail and how to follow the process that somebody teaches me to be successful I'll be able to do this in any industry right. and have success right. so that that was always a key point to me is like guys what we're doing here is just setting a foundation for you to stand on no matter what you choose to do after football
0: yeah and would you say that process and detail oriented or kind of play a huge role in your life
1: yeah, it's everything. I mean, I I think people probably get tired of me, of me talking about that. But when we work with organizations and help them build organizational structure, one of the first things I ask them to do is to define for me the roles within the organization. Give me a clear job description of what people are supposed to be doing so that I know what they're supposed to be doing. And I guarantee you that when I go and ask them, Hey, can you define your job for me? They can't even get close to the thing that you just told me. Wow. So, in order for an organization to be successful, everybody has to, number one, have their job clearly defined for them. And just because it's defined for them doesn't mean they understand it. Communicating that, that purpose to them and having them take ownership of it is a whole nother part of the organizational development cycle that's critical. So, to me, the details of knowing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing And then the process of knowing when I'm supposed to be doing it, how many times I should do it, and how I can repeat that process over and over and over to get good at it is what makes people successful.
0: Absolutely. And part of that detail orientation and process, um, something else I learned from you guys is that you like to develop 90-day plans. Why why 90 days?
1: Because it's an attainable, it's an attainable goal. It's an attainable timetable. Like I can set a five-year goal, but I don't know what's gonna to happen to me tomorrow. So it's really hard for me to control the behaviors of a five year goal day to day. Whereas if I set a goal that I know I can reach within 90 days and now I can reverse engineer all of, the, all of the behaviors that I need to do in order to get to that goal, I can clearly see if I've made any progress. I might miss that goal, but if I miss it by a hair, I can look back and say, well, look at how far I've come. That's not necessarily a loss. I didn't hit the thing I was reaching for. So I know there's some adjustments that can be made for the next 90 so that I can hit it. But to me, a 30 day cycle is too short, right? Because in order to create real change, you're gonna need more time than that. And anybody who is pushing to create a sale in a week is probably already losing. So to me, if if I can make an effect on on an outcome in, in 90 days, that's realistic. That gives me three months to look at what am I doing weekly in order to affect the outcome of this one, you know, this one activity or this one process. And that's really where you should be focused.
0: Perfect. So uh, everybody go out and develop a 90-day plan, send it over to Mark and he, he'll be more than happy to, uh, to assess it for you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> when, you, when you go, um, say once you're done with a 90-day plan and you don't hit your goals or you do, do you have some kind of way to reflect on those goals and and try to help with your future goal setting and development?
1: Well, you should have everything that you did calendared. And so I wouldn't even, to me, I I don't wait, you know, for 90 days to review on what happened. I review weekly. I think it's important that, you know, most people forget that the calendar starts on a Sunday and ends on a Saturday, you know, and that was, it doesn't start on Monday and end on Sunday. It starts on Sunday and ends on Saturday for a reason. You might not necessarily be working at your job on Saturday and Sunday, but those days can be used to for Sunday to look forward to the week to say, hey, what am I doing this week? What's on my calendar? Do I have the things that I know I need to get done scheduled? And then on Sunday, look back at the week and say, how did these things go? Did I spend enough time preparing for these activities to ensure their success? Right. No, I didn't. Well, I better look at next week and make sure that I have the preparation time I need because I think, you know, you people have to understand that in, in football, you get one opportunity a week. That's it. You know, in college it's Saturdays, in the NFL it's Sundays, or it's Monday or Tuesday, or you know, Thursday, whatever. Right. But you get one game a week that is your opportunity to be successful. That doesn't mean you only you you only compete on that day right. you spend every other day of the week preparing to be successful on that day so in the business world where you have a much faster you know life cycle for opportunities how much time are you taking to prepare for that 15 minute virtual cup of coffee or for that 30 minute introductory you know visit or for that 45 minute presentation how much time are you preparing for that because If you're not preparing, then you're preparing to fail because preparation is the key to everything. So research, preparation, that allows me to do everything I can to dictate the outcome. I can't control whether or not things go well. All I can control is what I do to help ensure that it goes well.
0: Wow, that is incredible. And when you said that, it reminded me, I think it was Abraham Lincoln, where he said, if you want me to talk for a whole day, I could start right now. If I needed to talk for an hour, it would take me a week. And if I needed to talk for 15 minutes, it would take me a month or something like that, right? Sure. That's exactly what it reminds me of. So it's not just the game day that you're prepared for. You need to take that time outside, whether you're in sales, having a big meeting, or developing. I don't care what it is. I
1: mean, to to me, it's it's, it's preparation is key. You know, I, I was talking to you about, you know, closing on our house yesterday. You know, the way we go about preparing And I love my girlfriend to death because we're in there and we're taping out the size of furniture. We're taping out the size of the table. You know, we're looking at, she's got like cards to paint and put paint different paint cards on the walls to see the way they look. She's preparing to, to furnish the house and to design the house. She's not just showing up and saying, well, I think I like this. And I think this will fit. She's doing everything she can in order to prepare that all of her decisions to make sure that she makes the right one
0: so once you hit that game day of actually moving in you have your paint ready you, know, you have your contractor. now ready. it's just
1: execution
0: yeah wow so that's relatable I mean I know preparation is key but when you when you think of it as simple as you know not it's simple, simple buying a house it's but-
1: so simple it's so simple to, like I can't even begin to tell you how simple it is just people don't take the time because most people are too
0: lazy and how do you prepare to be prepared? How would somebody get um, do that?
1: Well, reverse engineer it, right? Like, what is the thing? Like, am I so I, one of the one of my one of my coaching clients that I work with is a CEO of a company, and he was going down to a golf tournament in Atlanta, and he was going to speak in front of the group, and he had you know he was able to open up the entire event, and he was like, I don't know what to say or what to do. He's like, you know, and I said, well, let's think about this. Said, What's the real opportunity here? I said, are you going to try to sell something in front of everybody? And he knew better than to say yes to that. You know, so I said, the real opportunity is you get to operate. You get the chance to build a relationship with everybody in the audience straight away. So how do we go about doing that? Well, the first thing you should do is you should be grateful, right? So thank everybody for being there. Thank the people hosting the event for the opportunity to speak in front of them, right? Endear yourself to them in the opening and then tell a little story about yourself. Let people know where you're from, what you're going to do there, right? Which will then lead you to saying, Hey, I'm not going to bore you with all of the details about my company and what we do. But if you're interested, I'm happy to have a conversation with you after. So, you know, I took him through, we reverse engineered. Okay. The goal is to build a relationship with everybody in the audience. How can we do that? Let's grab their attention. Let's endear yourself. Let's tell a little bit of a story and let's create some intrigue into what you do and why you do it and you know and and create a call to action for them to be able to have a conversation with you after well sure enough it goes well you know he he does a great job at it and he ends up with a monster lead walking out of there who approached him and he built a relationship with the guy he He was trying to sell a pitch him He didn't pitch him on anything. He wasn't trying to sell anything. He was being genuine and authentic and educating people about who he was and where he comes from and what he does. And that led to an opportunity. So, you know, I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but I think, I, I think that's the real, you know, when you're trying to build a plan to do anything or you're trying to prepare to do anything, you have to first say, well, what's the destination? What's where, where, what mind, is it that right? I want? What's the goal? Okay, well, let's see how, what do I need to do that makes sense in order for me to reach that goal and build it that way?
0: Wow. And it sounds like, you know, just thinking about when you said that, I feel like you could do that and take that same premise that you mentioned and do it in any kind of meeting that you're in. You don't need to be in front of hundreds of people. If it, Correct. If it, I mean, we did the same thing just before we started recording, Right. And I would take that even to social media,
1: like the opportunity that you have within LinkedIn to just connect with people about who they are and what they're doing, not necessarily their job, but are they active? Are they sharing stories? Like what are they doing and to just deliver value there and show that you're interested in order to have a conversation in order to lead and earn the opportunity to talk business that's really what you're trying to do. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and it was pretty cool too. The first time that I, I started trying to outreach to your dad, and I don't know if this is something that you guys do all the time. Do, when somebody sends you an invite, do you always ask, you know, how do we help each other?
1: Every time. So so to me, the, the, the metrics for success are connections to conversations on LinkedIn. If, I, if I'm connected to somebody and haven't had a conversation with them, there's no value there. I don't know them. There's no kind of relationship. I want to at least have had a back and forth to where I know you're interested in investing in me and I'm interested in investing you. And in. at some point, we can help each other. I don't know when and I don't know if it's ever, but at some point, at least I know we're both willing to. So my response is different than my dad's. But everybody who comes into my world it gets a response back on what made you want to connect if it doesn't come in with a note. Some people now at this point, because we've been you know talking about it long enough, we're right. starting to get a lot of a lot of notes with the invite, and that you know immediately usually usually grants people access right away.
0: Yeah, and and that's something too that you guys kind of push on the Noodleberg Daily Huddle every single day, which I, I want to get into a little bit uh, further as well. Why did you guys start that?
1: Ah, uh, so that so the conversations that him and I have had have been like that for forever. From the time that I started coaching and I was drawing the parallels between what we were doing as a team and what he was doing building companies and how he was coaching people and how I was coaching people, we were constantly going back and forth and feeding off of each other. And he had done the huddle inside of a private group for his coaching clients for a long time. And then when I got into the business world, I started doing what we call Takeover Thursday. I would take over the huddle and do it once a week. And when the pandemic hit and LinkedIn live really became a thing that was able, we were able to do, it just kind of made sense. And we went for a test run on a Sunday and some people just hopped in and started talking to us and we were like, all right, let's do it. And so what really started our as us just hopping on to share a few minutes of content and it started at like 10 to 15 minutes mm-hmm. is now a fully produced 30-minute show where we have morning motivational music, we welcome people in, we say hello, we share current events of what's happening in sports and business and entertainment. And uh, we have a section called the Wall of Shame Hall of Fame yeah. where we, uh, we highlight really bad really really bad sales pitches in 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 LinkedIn and then we highlight some really great people reaching out with a note personalized the way it's supposed to be and we put them in the hall of fame and then we share what we call noodle nuggets which are uh, you know the daily daily nuggets for the day to help you be successful
0: wow and I love I love that and and uh, I feel like it's a really good way to start the day I mean you know eight o'clock in the morning all right I got to get my workout done so I could I could log into the huddle so I can see what's going on with the guys. It's a great production, everyone. So you, you have to go check out uh, the Noodleberg huddle. Um, I'll, we'll, we'll link to it as well. Um, but it, it, is, it is really great. And, and you know, I, I was on the Hall of Fame one time. Thankfully, it wasn't the Hall of Shame. But, right. <laughs> but it's great, too, that you guys are doing this. Not to call people out specifically, but it's, it's, it's your teach. sole intent to just help people and coach people. And that is just so prevalent in everything you guys do. and if you guys can't understand that from Mark, their sole intent is to just help people, help manage, help lead, help consult. You know it's you guys are doing incredible things, man. I, I'm getting I'm I
1: appreciate it. that. It's very flattering, it's very flattering, and we've gotten a uh, uh, an unbelievable amount of feedback on it. and the amount of people that are watching it every day and that are making it a staple to start their day with is great. Um, You know, it's something that I've done my entire career. We would start every practice day in in football with a special teams meeting. We'd go full team meeting and then special teams meeting where I would be in front of everybody. And it was my responsibility to set the tone and level of energy and the level of execution that I was expecting and the standard that I was going to hold them to. So for us to be able to share our energy together with an audience of people and interact and also be able to help coach people on how to develop relationships within a virtual environment is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. And how did you get into coaching in the first place? It really seems like it was part of like your DNA. Is this something that your dad taught you or that it's always just, no,
1: it's, it's really funny how we ended up here together because, um, you know, my, my dad has been a leader his whole life. Um, but you know, primarily as, as an entrepreneur and a CEO of a company, he's, he's always led, but not necessarily always, you know, successfully he's learned the leadership lessons throughout his life. For me, when I went away to school, I got involved at, at Florida State as an equipment manager and worked my way up through the organization to become a coach during my time at school there, and then got hired full time right after I graduated as the assistant special teams coach. And um you know, I didn't know that that was what I wanted to do. I just did it because it was cool. (laughs) Like For me, I loved football. I had played it growing up my whole life. And I had the opportunity to work with a premier top 25 program. You know, I was on TV on game days because I was working with a legendary coach uh, and Bobby Bowden. And so while I got to do something that I was having fun with, it was also super cool and had all kinds of perks. And You know, that was my job when I was in college. So I didn't get into it thinking that it was going to lead to where I wanted to be professionally. But the more I got involved and the more I learned about what it was to coach and develop and mentor those student athletes, the more I wanted to do it. Uh, eventually to the point where, you know, Jimbo Fisher took over as the head coach and he offered me a full-time job straight out of school. So it wasn't a whole lot of money. It was very little money, but it was something that I was passionate about that I knew if I passed on that opportunity at that moment, I would never get it again. Uh, so I explained to my dad that I wasn't coming home to join the business and I was going to go on onto my own endeavor and then try to build out my own career. And he was super supportive about it. And uh, he helped me any way he could, and every way he could, and uh, that was how it got started.
0: Wow! And and how for, for those who may be hesitant to take a position because they may be afraid uh, of their parents' response to it, how did you tackle that? I mean, I know that your you know, <laughs> dad really, was pretty. It was. I didn't think. I really.
1: I didn't think he was going to be. I was. I was nervous about it because at that point I had already worked in the company every summer, you know, it was a marketing agency at that time and digital, digital marketing was just happening and we were on the forefront of helping companies with Facebook advertising and I was good at it. I had already brought in clients and, and built my own book of business just in the summers that I was working. Right. So there would seem like there was already this vision and this plan for me to come and do it. And then, I knew that I was balking at it and I, I didn't think it was going to go over well. And I should have known better knowing that he was an entrepreneur and that, you know, he built his own career by chasing what he was passionate about and doing what he thought he wanted to do. Um, but, you know, you're a kid and, and you're not sure the way your dad's going to take it. So, you know, it was, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's just like a bandaid. You just got to rip it off. You just got to do it. And so, you know, you just, you say, hey, you know, it usually starts with, you know, hey, dad, I got to talk to you about something. And there's, like, oh, shit, what? You know, like, <laughs> they think it's the end of the world. Well, you know, I think I'm really liking what I'm doing here. And I think I have an opportunity to stay. And I think it's something that I want to do. And, right. and he was so supportive right from the jump. I mean, he was like, you're going to get paid what? Like, you know, you can't live on that, right? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. He's like, look, whatever you need, I'll give you. You know, to help you do this, he's like. But it's the day you're not passionate about it is the day that it's done.
0: Yeah, and it's no. And secret. I think he
1: thought I was going to fold on that in like six months, right? And then it ended up being ten years.
0: Wow. Well, you know what? It's it's truly the cornerstone of of kind of what defines you now at this point. I mean, it, it's the perfect mix of you know having the business acumen and, and the love for and passion for business, incorporating your coaching experience as well. Um, it, it sounds like it's the perfect marriage for what you should be doing.
1: It's it's amazing the way that if you just trust the process, if you just trust life, you know I I I believe in God. Some people don't believe in the universe. You believe in a higher spirit. You believe in whatever it is that is guiding you through adversity. Shit, there's plenty of setbacks. There's plenty of things that happen that don't go well. Right. But if you have faith, that if you try hard right? You just work hard. Just, just, just listen, best. try to learn and just give effort in what you do. It'll work out. It'll work. It might not be on your timetable. It might not be when you want it to happen. It might be way longer than you expected, but if you just continue to work at it, you'll get there.
0: Absolutely. And, that's and you don't know learn- where it'll be.
1: It might, it might be the, like, my vision was to be a college football head coach. Like that's what I wanted to do. That was my vision. I was going to build this program that created young, successful men, you know, and impacted 18 to 22-year-olds, and that's what we were going to do. We were going to teach life through sport and all of that. That was my vision. I've never been happier than, than where I am now. I'm still continuing to develop people, and instead of being stuck to only coaching football players, I'm able to coach and help and develop anybody right I mean, from from somebody who's 15 years old to somebody who's 7 years old if people need help that's where I'm I'm able to step in so what a blessing that I got removed from football right. and stepped out of it and it actually created a much broader spectrum for me to be able to help people
0: and and before we I want to I want to ask you why you got out of football um but but before that i'm tr- I'm a true believer in um and everything happens for a reason, and you take the failures or the the bad parts, and it's only going to make you stronger. It's kind of like if this, you believe it the stoic side of things, I guess, but um I mean, it switching that mindset and that philosophy, and it sounds like you have that as well. I mean, it makes the bad not so bad, and you just know that you just got to keep working your ass off, and you know you're going to get there, right?
1: So there's a great book, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. If, if you if nobody's read it, you need to read it, um, which talks about it. But essentially, when, when bad things happen, you essentially have two choices. You can define it or you can let it define you. And, th- and that's really as, as simple as you can take it. I've been fired for reasons that I didn't think I know weren't my fault that were told were not my fault. You know, when you get told at 27 after you've been a special teams coordinator, you know, at the University of Cincinnati that, you know, you're getting fired, but it's just part of the business. Like, that's a tough thing to swallow. Right. I could have let that moment define me and let it ruin my career, but I didn't. I defined it. Okay, fine. That happened. That's a thing that happened. Let me take this. Let me, you know, learn from it and try to propel myself from it. And I did. And I went on to coach for you know, five more years after that, or whatever it was, and um, had a lot of success. And, you know, I learned from it, and it helped me continue to grow and, and move forward. So you have when bad things happen, you have to take control and say, I'm going to define this, I'm not going to let it define me. Right.
0: And is that is that part of the reason why you, you left college football? Was there was there a particular, you know, motivator to move away? It
1: was a, it was a combination of things happening at the same time. Um, The previous, the last head coach that I worked for, we had worked together for two years and we were drastically different people and had drastically different philosophies and um, you know, in taking responsibility in my part of it, I didn't do a great job of communicating upward to him in order to try to help our relationship. I think the further, further along we got and the less heat took any of my input, the harder our conversations got to a point where we could no longer work together. And when he's the head coach and you're not, he gets to make that decision that we're not going to work together anymore. So then it became about, you know, evaluating, did I want to take the next job and just continue down the path I had continued on for 10 years? Um, I knew a lot of great coaches in the profession that were not head coaches and that probably were not ever going to be head coaches. And I just had a real moment with myself where I said, it's possible that you do this for another 20 years, you know, and at the end of 30 years, you look back and say, I sacrificed my life and never even got the opportunity to do what I wanted to do. And I didn't know whether or not that price was worth it anymore. I didn't know whether or not I was willing to give up all of the things I knew I had to give up in order to just continue down that journey. And to me, as as soon as you're not willing to do what it takes to be successful is the time that you need to check out. So I said I'm 32, I got time to get out and and see if I can do something else. And if I can't, I can always come back. Same opportunities are gonna be here for me, it's gonna be the same game, it's gonna be what it's gonna be. And, uh, that was, that was, that was it. That was the moment. So you just knew. I, I didn't know that I wasn't ever going to come back. I knew that it was a good time to, to get out and try something new. I knew that I knew that it was because it wasn't a no brainer for me to take the next job that was sitting in front of me. I knew something was, something was wrong.
0: Right. Well, that's, that's important too. I mean, you have to, you got to know when, when to, to walk away and know, you know, when, when you're going to try to find something different. So
1: it takes a lot of self-evaluation, takes a lot of, of self-awareness and it has to take a lot of, you know, internal dialogue and, and being honest with yourself and saying, you know, what are you really, are you really happy? Are you, what do you really want? Stop listening to what you're, the internal track that you've been selling yourself Right. Really sit down and think about it. Like, what do you really want to do? Are you really happy with what you're doing right now? And are you willing to do what it takes to make a change?
0: And do you have, is that part of your, um, you know, I want to ask too, do you have like a, a daily ritual?
1: Yes. I mean, to me, routine is critical. So like every day I wake up between four and five o'clock I'll get up, I'll do some reading, I'll do some preparation for the huddle, I'll do some emails. That's really my time where I feel like I'm in control to do whatever it is I wanna do. Um, And then I'll work out from six to seven and then I'll get ready for my day with coffee and breakfast and shower and I'll talk to my son on FaceTime or I'll send him a a video. And then from eight to 8.30 every day we're on the huddle And then from 8.30 on, it's virtual coffees, it's presentations, it's coaching, it's, you know, everything I need to do in order to continue to grow the business. And, um, you know, at night, it's, I try to shut it down. And when I shut it, when I shut it down, I try to completely do that. That's, I do believe in a work-life balance. And, you know, I'm very thankful to have the partner that I have and my girlfriend, Gabby. And when it's her time, I try to make sure that it's her time Help in the kitchen. And I'm a good sous chef. And you know, there's shows that I like to watch. We're going through Billions right now, um, so get through you know whatever shows we're watching, and
0: that's kind of that's kind of like my routine. Okay, Billions. I got I got to write that down. We're we're watching Blacklist. Oh, Billions right? is
1: great. If you haven't watched Billions and you don't know about Bobby Axelrod, you will love you will love Bobby Axelrod.
0: Billions. Okay, I'm I'm taking a note of that right now. Did you watch Blacklist yet?
1: So I watched Blacklist. I think I got off Blacklist at like season four. It just kind of got redundant for me. Um, But Secession is another one that's a no-brainer watch if you haven't seen it.
0: Okay. I'm going to take some notes on that. So thank you. uh, Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Sorry, sidebar. Um, You know, it was pretty cool too, how you mentioned you started um, in the, um, you didn't start in the film room. You started as an equipment manager. It reminded me. I just read something on Eric Spolstra how he started yeah. in the film room as a videographer. Yeah. Are, are you a true? And I know that you're a heat guy, so I had to had to throw that that plan in there or that plug in there too. Are you a big believer of starting at the bottom and just working your ass off if you're passionate about something? Holy, get there.
1: Holy, 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 a firm believer in that. Um, I know that that's what made me successful in football is the fact that by the time I became a special teams coordinator. I knew what everybody in the program did. I knew what the trainers did. I knew what the equipment managers did. I knew what the chefs did. I had touched everybody and been a part of everything. So learning how to coach and then becoming a coach, I was able to communicate with everybody at their level. That made me a great asset to any program. Because again, I was building relationships with everybody. I was building relationships with the equipment managers because I knew what they had to go through in order to set up practice. So I would make sure I would do anything I could to help them be the best prepared that they could be so that we could ensure that practice would run smoothly. I can't control what the offense and the defense does, but I can make sure that when we have special teams periods, they know exactly where the cones are supposed to go and what's supposed to happen and how drills are supposed to be set up. I knew that I could talk to the video guys and say, Hey, these are the angles that I need shot. This is how I want to cut so when the head coach would say, you know, hey, blow the whistle, it's time, we were like a machine, and that would allow us to be as efficient and effective as possible. You know, in in football, everything works on a clock. So if you had seven minutes for a special teams period, you know, I'd script out what we need to get done. If we got through it in four and a half minutes, I'd tell the head coach, hey coach, blow the whistle, we're good. You got three minutes to spend somewhere else because we did what we needed to do in the time that we covered it. Everybody did it the way it was supposed to be done. That was a reward system for the guys is, hey, look, we got to do the work. You do the work faster than I have it scripted and it's done right and it's done to our expectation. Then the rest of the time, we're out. You know, we just got done three minutes earlier and that's three minutes of your time that you got back.
0: So being prepared, right? That's the biggest Every thing, single preparation. time. Is it every, everything come back to being prepared?
1: Everything comes back to being prepared. I mean, preparation leads, should lead to execution. If you prepare properly, you should execute at a higher level than people who don't. And so the level of preparedness then goes into the research. How much research have you done? And how much, how much detail have you paid attention to in the preparation? If you get maniacal about that, you will crush all of your competition in any form of any, I don't care, business, sports, I don't care what it is. Right. If you prepare to every detail, that will ensure success for you. And not necessarily does- all
0: the time, but more than not. How do, you, how do you avoid analysis paralysis when it comes to preparation?
1: Uh, that's a good question because you can overload yourself with data. Right. So at some point you have to just trust the fact that you've put in all of the work that you can put in and that you're making the best decision you can from the data and you go with it and you say, if it's not right, or if something happens, we'll adjust. What's our adjustment plans to think that you're ever going to do something and it's going to be perfect and you're not going to have to adjust is insanity that's not realistic if it happens that way great it's a bonus but you shouldn't go in thinking that so to me i always said here's the data that i have i'm going to make the best decisions off of this data and if things change we'll make the adjustments and this is how we'll adjust from there so you have a plan for the adjustment but you know you learn how to adapt adjust and overcome
0: and adaptation it brings us into to the next thing that i wanted to talk to you about as we're in the middle of covid-19 uh, it's uh, beginning of October of 2020 when we're recording just for context. So we're still, uh, we're still fairly into this then. Um, I'm sure you've come across other tough times, you know, throughout your career and in your life, how do you combat them and how do you adapt and overcome tough situations? Except reality.
1: I think, um, I think like, especially in right now, I think people are still waiting for it to go back to the way it was. People are waiting for us to get back to normal. And I don't think that people realize we're never going back to that. Like when when change happens, especially a change this large, everything is changed forever now. You might have some kind of, you know, drop back to what it was, but it, it will never be the same. So for me, I always look at, okay, what's the current reality? Let me accept that. Let me really evaluate what it is. And then let me put my plan together moving forward on how I think I can be successful. Put that in a game term, right? If you go down 21, nothing in the first quarter, I can't sit there and go, okay, well, we'll just wait for the 21 points to come back off the board. And when it's zero, zero again, then we'll start playing again. It's not reality. Reality is you're down 21, nothing, but the goal is still to win the game. So, what kind of plan are you going to put together now that you're down 21 nothing to go and win the game so okay COVID hits we can't leave we're on lockdown all right well i'm not going to wait for things to go back to normal this is the reality this is the environment let me take it in let me understand it and let me build a plan going forward that i think can make us successful now that plan should be good for forever because i'm not counting on us ever going back And so, as the world continues to evolve and adapt, I can now adjust my plan with that because I'm not waiting for it to go back the way it was. This is not a a contingency plan. This is a plan. This is it. This is what we do now, guys. Forget it. The way it used to be, it's not happening
0: anymore. This is how we're operating. When things change from here, we'll change again. Wow. So, just accepting reality, I guess, and, and and not letting it define you.
1: Yeah. Well, again, uh, is this going to define me or am I going to define it? Like it goes right back to preparation and planning and, but you know, it's, it's not difficult. You just have to discipline yourself to living in that process.
0: So it sounds like there's a lot of the same fundamental principles that that keep coming up time and time again throughout the conversation. And this stuff is incredible, Mark. I I hope everybody's getting value out of this because this is incredible. Um, If you had to just bullet point the top three to five fundamental principles besides preparation uh what would you say they'd be of just life life business you know like i know preparation came up a, a significant amount accepting reality and adapting and overcoming i think is a sure kind
1: of so so attention to detail effort perspective process that four how many i got four in preparation we'll, we'll we'll give you that and, one and, and preparation i would say research you don't have to say preparation research to me like kids don't like the generation below me i was the last generation that had to go pull the encyclopedia out and look for information in order to write
0: what is an encyclopedia score.
1: Yeah. Not Wikipedia and encyclopedia. I'm that last generation of that. So I think research gets taken for granted now. And I think primarily my age group and older remember how hard it was to find information. So they tend not to, they tend to just wing it or go for it. And you couldn't be further off the mark than doing that. you, You set yourself so far behind by trying to do that with the first step. Everything should start with research, right? I don't care if it's just a virtual coffee that you're having with someone, go to their Facebook page, go to their LinkedIn page, figure out where they've worked, where they've lived, what their family life is like, figure out who they are, so that you're prepared going into the conversation. If you have to carry the conversation, you 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 know things to poke and prod at to get them to, to, to start building a relationship with you. So research is something that very little people do that it's never been easier to do. Like my girlfriend gets annoyed all the time because as soon as we start talking about something, I got to figure it out. I got to actually, I can't just take what you're t- saying as gold. I need to, I need to read it on my own. Right. You know, like I need to fact check this, you it's know, like so it's funny. too easy now.
0: And there's so many times too, that we'll just be sitting there watching TV, whether who, you know, if it's talking with my wife or whoever, you say, home, I wonder, I wonder what that is. I wonder what that is. We could just go look it up. You know, yeah. like go look it up. <laughs> <We> <laughs> look, all it. you have to
1: do is type it into Google this and the cool answer thing. will be there for you. It'd be
0: It'd Crazy if we had this thing on our wrist or, or on in our pocket <laughs> that we could just find information. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. That's crazy. And, and that kind of brings me um, kind of the research side of things into more of the sales and the social media side of things. What would you say some of your biggest pieces of advice for social media marketing and, and more specifically optimizing your use on LinkedIn? be
1: genuine and authentic. There's too many people selling and even when you're you think, you know, you're like, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not, I'm not trying to sell, but you're scripting and you're not being yourself. People it always try. comes back to it's so obvious to see and it and business always comes back to do I like and trust this person? Cuz if people trust you, they're willing to do just about anything with you. So if you can solve a problem for them, they will let you because they trust you. So building trust through your content is the most important thing. It's not about being the expert of all experts. Stick to what you know. If, if you like to work out and eat healthy and then share that information with people and do it in a genuine and authentic way that comes off from you just genuinely delivering value to people. There's too many people trying to look like an influencer or trying to sound like an expert or trying to sell something through their content. It just misses the mark. If we could get more people just genuinely and authentically delivering valuable information every day, what an amazing place LinkedIn would be.
0: I mean, and, and people see right through it too. Um, so it's no, it's no secret when somebody's trying to reach out or, or, or do something like that. Um, exactly. How, how do you be proactive with your networking with previous connections? And the reason I ask that is, you know, sometimes if we're trying to reach out to a, a previous colleague that we went to high school or college with, or, or you get a message from somebody, most of the time, usually, right when that, hey, how are you doing thing is, you know, what's the ask? What, are you, what do you want from me? What, what do I, you know, what's the question?
1: I'll, I'll get ahead of it. I mean, usually if I get an invite from somebody that I haven't talked to in a long time, I'll be like, Hey man, great to see you. I'll, you know, I'll do my research on them to say, looks like you're doing fantastic in X and X, you know, industry, or it looks like your, your family's beautiful or great looking kid, whatever. I'll give them some kind of personal information to let them know, Hey, I looked and I saw, and then how can I help? That's 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 immediately, immediately my response. How can I help? Oh, I'm not really sure. You know, just connecting for whatever. Great. You don't have an ask of me. Awesome. But I've already put out there to them that I'm here to help.
0: So does that open um, the line of communication for any kind of future communication? That's the way I
1: feel about it. Is that like I've already put out there to you that I'm here to help you in any kind of way, and now I have no problem coming back to you to saying, hey. I saw you're connected to so-and-so. Would you mind introducing me? Or, hey, I got a question about what you're doing. would love to hop on a virtual coffee to see if I can get some more insight or you might be able to help me with it. Whatever Whatever the ask is, you know, once I've created that open line of communication with you, should be no problem.
0: Interesting. So, and and do you use the virtual coffee line? And I, I love that as well. Just to, you know, is that a great way of you do the initial research and say, hey, Hey, Mark, I think it's incredible what you guys are doing on the ball, uh, on the ball ventures. Um, can we, can we get some, have a virtual coffee and just talk about what your mission is? Like, is that, is that sure. is, is that to try to get it's a meeting? A, it's and, a and, no
1: brainer. And like, if you want to be even more generic than that, like just have a virtual coffee to share stories. Like if people don't like sharing stories, they're definitely not going to get along with me because that's all we're going to talk about is stories, right. um, stories of your experiences and stories of my experiences and how they relate and you know, then maybe we'll find a way to talk business and see if we can help each other in the business world. But if I want to connect with you, it's not just because I think I can deliver value to you with what I do professionally. I think we might align and be able to help each other in who knows how many ways.
0: Right. And it sounds like, um, and my philosophy too, and, and kind of how I, I like to operate things is like, would you want to have a beer with somebody? Those are the people that you want to try to communicate you with wanna exactly? do business with, right? <laughs> you know, like- is that how you that, try to, you know, is that a philosophy of yours as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, when people come into my world, I'm not like, oh, I'm not accepting this person because I don't think I'd like to have a beer with them. I'm I'm giving them the opportunity to join as long as they're willing to get into the dialogue. Right. But the way I end up falling into people's worlds who I don't know is because I see a piece of content that they shared or I, somebody had said something about them or they commented on somebody's like... The, the, the virtual networking world is just the way that it would happen in person. If I overheard somebody talking about Florida State football, I'd turn around and be interested in having the conversation with them. Right. If I heard somebody say something about leadership or organizational structure or paying attention to detail or any of the things that I know matter, I would jump into that conversation. Right. It's the exact same thing. I just can do it from my couch on my laptop.
0: Right. And that's the cool thing about social media too. I mean, it's like virtual cafes that are open all the time, right? Exactly. Wow. That's exactly right. That is incredible. A couple more, uh, I want to say rapid fire questions. Um, sure. and, and now some of them probably have long winded answers, but how do you develop a winning culture?
1: Uh, you, you hold everybody to the same standard. So number one, you have to set a high standard. You have to set a standard that, you know, is, is expecting of excellence. And then you create accountability from everybody within the organization to that standard. Because, and Nick Saban says it best, you know, mediocre people don't like high achievers and high achievers don't like mediocre people. So if you hold the standard at a high achiever level, the people that don't like to reach that level are not going to stay in that
0: organization. So you're going to attract the people that are similar to that. Yep. Speaking of one great leader, Nick Saban, I wanted to to ask about Bobby Bowden and your experience what's the greatest piece of leadership or a leadership lesson that you learned from him?
1: Have faith. He's a, he's a, you know, a man of large, large faith. And I think, you know, he never got too high. He never got too low. He always just trusted in the fact that God was going to lead him where he needed to be. And, and so while he worked hard and paid attention to detail and, you know, wanted to recruit speed all the time, he also knew that on Sunday, like that was the Lord's day for him. So he was going to go and he was going to, you know, make sure that he went to church and he'd be in the office when he would be there after church and prioritizing his faith above everything else. So just having faith, whatever your faith is, is important.
0: Absolutely. You got to have something to, uh, to keep you moving, I guess. Right. Yeah. What advice would you give your high school self? Hmm.
1: That's a good question. Um, pay more attention to the next five years instead of looking at the next 15. I think from the time that I was 15, I was worried about where I was going to be when I was 30 and always had that vision of, you know, how's this going to affect me? How's this going to affect me? Um, take, stop worrying about it and just go ahead and just pay attention to being present and just keep doing the best you can. And it'll all work out.
0: Keep your head down and keep working. Don't worry worry about the rest. Yeah. What would you say the top skills or traits that make someone good in leadership or sales development?
1: Communication. You have to be a great communicator. Um, You know, that to me is, I don't care if it's leadership, I don't care if it's sales. If If you can't figure out how somebody else communicates and tailor your message to reach them, then you've got absolutely no chance. And the other thing is then empathy because you have to be able to empathize with people in order to create trust and a relationship with them. And if you can't create trust and a relationship, not only will nobody follow you, but nobody will buy from you. So the, the, those two being able to communicate and having empathy and, and not being, you know, and, and, and being not being selfish, right? Think about the other person, you know, constantly try to make it about other people and deliver value to everybody around you, that will make you a great leader, that will make you a great salesperson.
0: Wow, that, that leads perfectly into the next question of if you were teaching a sales development 101 class, besides empathy, and besides communication, what would you teach?
1: Uh, track your conversations. Stop tracking cold calls. Stop tracking cold emails. How many quality conversations did you have in a day? And so by quality conversation, I don't mean that that's necessarily somebody who turned into an immediate business opportunity. That's just somebody that you built a connection with. So track those, right? Monitor your activity as how am I going about building relationships on a daily basis? If you're building relationships at scale, the sales will come. Okay. So keeping those. But relationship first and then being an expert in whatever it is that you do will lead you to be successful in sales. So build the behaviors based on that. How do I become a great relationship builder? How do I become an expert in what I do?
0: There you go. That's incredible, man. For someone who just wanted to get into consulting, coaching, what would you recommend they start?
1: With themselves. Um, To me, you know, the the, critical thing of a leader or coach is that they hold themselves to the standard that they hold other people. So you can't coach other people until you start living and breathing whatever it is that philosophy is that you believe in. So whether you're, you know, a free spirit and you want to help people be a life coach and you want to be less stressed and you better start living that way. And you better start learning how to develop the process to help people do that because that's what's going to make you successful as a coach is not just having a process that made you successful, but being able to then communicate that process and tailor it to somebody else to help make them successful.
0: So you really need to be passionate about what you're doing and have a good understanding of it because you can't teach somebody something that you don't like or, or BS your way through it, right? So I would say that's the
1: key to anything that you do professionally is either make your passion, your purpose, or make your purpose, your passion, whichever way. I don't care how you figure it out, but that it's got, if you're passionate about something, then go make that your purpose and go do it and figure out a way to make money at it. If you have no idea what you're passionate about, but you're doing something and that's your purpose, then make your purpose, your passion.
0: Wow. I'm taking note of that one. I'm going to stew on that one. And, uh, That's, that's something to chew on. (laughs) That was great. What's the greatest piece of advice that you've ever been given for your career?
1: Uh, Do what you love and the money will follow. That's, um, that is just as, as my dad gave me that, my dad gave me that and I forget where he got it from. Um, But that's just, to me, that's my dad's ultimate line to me is just do what you love and the money will follow. And uh, it's been true ever since.
0: Wow. So you just got to stay on path with that. Speaking of your father, what is the fondest memory with him
1: it's tough. I got a lot of them. I got a lot of them, but um probably watching him run out of the tunnel in the swamp in Gainesville with my son after the team had just taken the field against auburn um, was wow. the cool that it was a culmination of my coaching career and my family life and being able to deliver that experience to him and have him do it with his grandson um, is my favorite memory.
0: Wow. And that's incredible on all levels. Good for, good for your son. Good for you to see that. Good for the pops. That is incredible, man. I'm sure that's uh, that's something that they'll all remember. You guys will all remember for, you know, forever. Thank you so much, Mark. Where could people learn more about you and and what you guys are doing with on the ball event on the ball ventures?
1: my pleasure um you know we're on all the social channels we are on the verge of launching get on the ball training so depending on when this drops you'll probably already be able to go to get on which you can find all of our lessons that we teach all of our curriculums uh, ontheballventures.com is up and running and you can get direct to the training through there But I would encourage anybody to look me up on LinkedIn, send me a connection request with a personalized note saying, hey, listen to the 20% podcast with Tyler. It was great. Really enjoyed your insight. Would love to share a virtual coffee with you to share stories. I am, that is an easy way to get me to say yes.
0: Wow, that is perfect, Mark. Thank you so much for the plug there. And thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You got it, thank you. That wraps up another show of the 20% Podcast. I would love to know your feedback on this episode. So you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Tyler Mekis, or you can send me an email at 20%podcastquestions at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, send it to your friends or anyone who could benefit from listening. I absolutely love your feedback and sharing and subscribing to the show is the best way that we could get the word out and help as many people as we can. Additionally, if you know anybody who'd be interested to interview, Please send them my way. Until next time, cheers. Time, cheers. Time, cheers.